0: Alright guys, it's, it's good to see each of you here this morning. I'm excited to be delivering God's Word to you. I hope that that today God speaks to you in whatever way He has for you. You know, my prayer as I prepare a lesson every time is is to remove me, for God to remove me from the picture, and to speak to you through His Word. You know, I, I could get up here and and I can give you my thoughts on things, and I can tell you various stories that I've had in my life, but the reality is, is scripture is what moves our hearts and our minds. So like getting up here and just reading scripture the whole time would be sufficient enough. And so I hope that this morning the scripture does what it does. It's living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. So I hope that it does pierce our hearts and our minds today. So let us begin with our our reading this morning, our gospel reading from Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So today we're continuing into Advent. As a reminder, Advent simply means the coming of. So we celebrate the coming of Jesus to this earth. And we joyfully wait for Jesus' second coming to usher in His absolute rule over all creation and mankind. The last three weeks of Advent, we have explored a different virtue— so we've looked at hope, peace, and joy. And now this week, we're going to look at love. So to recap those virtues, hope can be understood as confident expectation. So what I'm expecting to happen, but I'm confident in that I'm hoping for that. Romans 8, 22 through 25 says this. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So in this verse, we see what we eagerly hope for is adoption as sons and daughters. The redemption of our bodies. You see, as believers, when we, when we look at this world, we see brokenness. We see a world in need of Restoration. And that is what we hope for, for Jesus to return and make all things new. The next virtue, peace, this can be defined as tranquility, harmony, security. This is the primary use of the word found in the New Testament. In Romans 8, 6, tells us, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life. And peace. So we see here that setting our minds on the flesh is death, but if we set our minds on the spirit, that is, on things that are above, heavenly things, not earthly things, life and peace shall come. And then Philippians 4 4 through 7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, just as a side note here, that, that word reasonableness, what it means is gentleness, kindness an attitude of lenience, yielding. So we can say, let your gentleness, kindness, an attitude of lenience and yielding be known to everyone. And here we see the peace of God. So think tranquility, think harmony. And notice how peace is described. What does it do? It surpasses all understanding. And its effect will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guys, in our tumultuous world today, we desperately need this peace, right? Absolutely. We desperately need this peace. In our world where lawlessness continues to increase, we need this peace. This peace is confusing to the world because, again, it surpasses all understanding. It's unexplainable, but it is crucial for our maturity in Christ. So what is it in your life that takes away your peace? What is that that takes away your peace? And how can we pursue peace, that peace from God? The next virtue was joy. Biblical joy can be understood as the natural reaction to the work of God. When we think about the first advent, that is the coming of Christ to the earth, He was the propitiation for our sins, or another way to say this is the satisfaction, if you will, for our sins. There is great joy that is produced. We have the joy of our salvation, if you will. So Jesus' saving work has an effect on us which produces joy. Psalm 51, 12 says... Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with your willing spirit. So the effect of salvation is joy. So today we're going to explore love. It's our f- fourth virtue. Love is a difficult virtue because it's a word that our culture uses to describe many different things, and it, and it somewhat creates a bit of confusion, and what it actually means to love and be loved. So for the sake of our lesson today and our understanding just really of love, period, we're going to use the Scriptures to define what love is. I frequently say as a follower of Christ, I, I am not at liberty to form my own truths. Our culture says you can. But I as a believer in Christ say, I cannot form my own truths, but I and to be conformed to the absolute truth of Scripture. Absolute meaning not changing of Scripture as my thoughts and opinions become mirrored with God's. So let us use Scripture for this very thing to define love. And let us use Scripture to define other aspects of our life. If you're confused on what various things may be or mean, let's go to the Scriptures and find out. The go-to passage for love is 1 Corinthians 13. This is what it says. "By I speak in the tongues of men and of angels And here comes the definition. Verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But the greatest of these is love. Isn't this the perfect definition of love? Doesn't this clear up confusion as to how we use love? Doesn't it clear up the confusion of what love really is in our culture? What we're describing here is the essential nature of God. This is why 1 John 4 says that God is love. So we can say in God's nature, he is patient and kind. He does not envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude and so on. So God demonstrates his love to us and we see that in 1 John 4, 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world... So that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So hear how God's love is made manifest or apparent in this passage. He sent Jesus into the world so that we might live through him. Because we are no longer destined for death but for life. Then the verse continues, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. And he displayed love to us by sending his son Jesus to be the propitiation. There's that word again for his sins that we mentioned earlier. Again, another way to say this is that Jesus was the satisfaction or the appeasement for our sins, for me and for you, those who believe in him. Guys, this is amazing news, right? This is the gospel. Jesus coming to the earth, the first advent, resting in our sins being forgiven, and now we wait patiently for the second advent, the second coming of our King. So with our passage from Matthew today, our focus will be on the first advent of Jesus and how God loved us by sending Jesus. So let's begin to walk back through our text today. Matthew 1:18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So, here, notice the phrase, with Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. So, hang on to this phrase, from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream... So, guys, when we see in Scripture an angel of the Lord appearing, this is something our ears should perk up to. We need to pay attention to what comes next. Saying, Joseph, son of David, as another side note, son of David, being a descendant of David was important here because Jesus was to come through the lineage of David to fulfill these prophecies. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from The Holy Spirit. Again, the point is emphasized that the child is conceived from the Holy Spirit, from God, not man. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Notice here the you, and you shall call his name Jesus. The angel saying, Joseph, Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus translated from Jesus, the Greek form of Yahshua or Joshua, which in Hebrew means Yahweh saves. So that is, for he will save his people from their sins. Because this is a colossal statement. This is huge about the purpose of Jesus and, and why he was to be called Jesus. Why he got that name. So all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So a virgin shall conceive. So th- This is not of man, but of God. So that's why the emphasis that this child was from the Holy Spirit was so important. This is, this is God in the flesh. But notice a different name here in in the part of this passage. It says, They shall call his name Emmanuel. I thought the angel of the Lord said his name was Jesus. So was the prophecy wrong and and Jesus misnamed? No, absolutely not. It's not how we interpret that. So let's look at the pronouns here to fully understand. Remember back in verse 21, I told you to hang on to that pronoun you, meaning you, Joseph, Joseph, In verse 23, notice now the pronoun they. This is not they as in the parents, but but people in general. In other words, people in general will identify Jesus as God being with us. He took on that identity. He was the incarnate God. He came down and lived among us, among mankind. The the idea of naming people, just in general, has a long-standing history for for all throughout mankind. Um, What happens is as we live and do great things, um, various people, um, we we become known for the things that we do. And And we give that person names to describe who they have become, or in the case of Jesus, who he will become and the purpose that he served. We sometimes use the term nickname for this in our culture. To give a modern day example, I'm going to say a few names and um, let's see if anyone can guess who I'm talking about. All right? Nobody yell out. I'll let you yell out in a minute though. All right, you ready? The mauling menace. Raise your hand if you already know it. All right, the mauling menace, the, the shakam of slug, the prince of pounders, anyone? This is the same person, the wizard of whack, the Wally of wallop, the behemoth of bust. We got one person that knows. It's like an auction. <laughs> the Raja of rap, the Maharaja of mash, the Big Bam. The king of swing and the king of crash, the Colossus of clout. Anyone else? All right. Who is it? Who is it? Babe Ruth, the great Bambino, but the real question is, does anybody know his real name? Uh -uh. Nobody knows his real name. George Herman Ruth, Jr. George Herman Ruth, Jr. was just 19 years old when his professional career began. His professional baseball career began in the minor leagues with the Baltimore Orioles, where soon he was traded off to the Red Sox and then the Yankees. Ruth was known for his skill at the plate, and how well he could hit a baseball. During his career, he hit 714 home runs and quickly became a fan favorite from the start. Ruth is perhaps best summed up by 1976 Spink Award winner, Red Smith, when he said, it wasn't that he hit more home runs than anybody else. He hit them better higher, farther, with more theatrical timing and a more flamboyant flourish. In other words, it was Ruth's actions that led others to give him nicknames that were popularized among the people. The people, as in they, would call him names that represent his actions. Jesus is the same way. We have many names throughout the pages of Scripture. And just to name a few of those the Good Shepherd and the Bread of Life, King of Kings, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, Lion of Judah, Light of the World, Resurrection, and the Life. All these names are names he was recognized by by his actions because of the purpose for which he fulfilled and why he came to live among us. So we can see clearly that Jesus was not misnamed but simply recognized by names that represent his action and purpose. So continuing through our text, the verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. We see Joseph obey the commandment. And he continued with Mary. But he knew her not, meaning he did not have sexual relations with her till she gave birth. Then Joseph gave him the name Jesus. So what are our takeaways from this? What are we, what are we looking for in our passage today? We see that, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So he was not from man. Therefore, he is from God, that is, Emmanuel, God with us. Because he is God with us, he can and does save his people from his sins. Being a God-man, he can do what no one else can do. We're not going to dive deeper here, but, but let's just fast forward a moment to the cross. We can gain a deeper understanding of what it, what, what it really means to be saved from our sins, It doesn't just stop right there like there's so much more that we can dive into. If we look at the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is by far one of my favorite parts of Scripture, seeing this interaction with Jesus in the Garden. He prayed a prayer three times, the same prayer, a form of that same prayer. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So I want to direct your attention to the cup. So Jesus Jesus references this cup. What is this? What is this cup that he's talking about? You can speculate it all day long, but the best way to interpret this is to cross-reference throughout the Scriptures. To go back and forth and just basic hermeneutics on how we interpret Scripture is to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. And we'll see that as we look through the pages of Scripture, when we talk about a cup, it's the cup of God's wrath. Take this cup from me, nevertheless your will, not mine. So literally the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus while on the cross in our place. We are no longer due the penalty of our sin because it has been paid. Guys, this is, this is what the meaning of Jesus' name is all about. He will save his people from their sins. He will face the wrath of God in our position and make the final payment on our behalf. Yes, we go through and we look at the physical pain, and a lot of times we relate to that physical pain on the cross. Yes, it was excruciating. Yes, That was hard, but guys, dive deeper and look at the spiritual implication. There is so much more spiritual pain, spiritual suffering happening happening on the cross, and he did it for you. He did it for me. This is the summation of the Christmas story. This is what Christmas... Is all about. Jesus will save his people. Guys, if this doesn't excite you as a Christian, then I don't know what to tell you other than just wake up. What Jesus did is amazing, it is a miracle. This is amazing news. And reading about the fulfillment of Jesus coming into the world is something that we as believers. Should never get tired of hearing. I could hear it all day long and be perfectly content because it is exciting news. And why did, why did Jesus do this? Why did God send Jesus? Because He loved us. He loved us first. This is what makes Christmas merry and bright. Church, let us go and tell of what God has done for us this Christmas season. Let us do as the psalmist writes in Psalm 40. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them. Yet they are more than can be told. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Let us pray. Father, thank you for today and allowing us to come and read through your scriptures and to sing these songs of praise to you. God, I pray that as we continue in our Christmas season, as we continue in Advent, that we will find ourselves daydreaming about your goodness and about what your name means that you will forgive us from our sins. That we will find ourselves pondering the work of the cross and that we will go and we will proclaim we will proclaim of your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. And we we will tell of them even though they are more than can be told. It's in Christ's authority that we pray. Amen.